Tainted Glove presents Yumper and Spo at the Show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia. Oh, what a big man you are. Hey, let me buy you a pack of gum. I'll show you how to chew it. And Justin Svos Foboda. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Two guys from Chicago talking movies. Welcome, everyone, to episode five of Yumper and Swole at the Show. I'm your host, Tom Garcia. They call me Yumper. And I'm with my co-host, Justin Swole Svoboda. What's up, Swole? What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Today is a lazy day, man. Too bad I watched the Illini lose the basketball game. And in the second round, I was heartbroken. The Cubs didn't sign anybody. So it's good to talk movies. Uh, same, except for Florida State didn't make the tournament. And the White Sox haven't signed anybody either, unless you are a middle reliever. Yeah, we're hurting here, man. We're hurting here. But Swell, I have a question. People have been asking us. They've been saying that we are kind of similar. Like, we're brothers from a different mother. We have different tastes in movies. And they wanted me to ask you. When exactly did you become Blood Brother? Uh, Sorry, I had to get a little pop from certain people have been asking me to include that in our clips for a while. I love it. I love it. I love Phil Hartman. He's actually in one of the movies that we're going to be talking about today. Yes, he is. uh, I love him. But before we get into what we're going to talk about today, we're going to actually go to our usual shindig. We're going to talk about you, the listener, and we're going to go to our Twitter responses. So this week we posted up a question saying, what was your favorite movie of the nineties? So you want to take it away? Yeah, absolutely. We had, uh, we had some great responses this week. Uh, A couple normal listeners long time listeners i say long time we hit this is our fifth episode beef and if you're listening we made it to five so we've we've survived the fifth episode but um the first person was uh my cousin mark actually who recently just joined twitter and followed yumper and Spo at the show and he went with tommy boy he said tommy boy is a classic and he always enjoyed the humor um Brian um, at Magnificent Stand, supporter of the pod, went with Falling Down, which I have a feeling we might be having a conversation about later as well. Hint, hint. Um, hint, hint. And then um, our boy, Kfids, um went Babe, Pig in the City. And then he quickly changed his mind to The Matrix or Fight Club. Um, but also, Babe, Pig in the City was a good movie in the 90s. Yes, so- I agree. Good sequel. <laughs> And oh yeah, Pig in the City, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was a good sequel to the original one. Uh, Pete Chapman said Terminator Two or Jurassic Park. They combined the perfect '90s live action animatronics and special effects. Nothing before was shot as big and had these capabilities. Everything after this big is shot on soundstage and green screen. They are '90s films to me. I absolutely love that answer. I do feel like that those movies feel different when they were made. Um, and then. Shankster John said it was a tough call. Movies in that decade hit different, uh, hit me in different ways at different times. Like early was true romance, just so cool. Pulp fiction, usual suspects at another time. LA Confidential, Heat, Office Space, Goodwill Hunting. It's hard to choose a top one. And I think all those movies that he just named were movies that kind of stand the test of time in the 90s. And I, I absolutely love all of them. I completely agree. Uh, the 90s, as we we're going to learn, was probably 
one of the best times in movie uh, history. Like just looking at the movies that were released throughout the nineties is just ridiculous. Um, I would put it up against any decade that there is in the industry. But moving on. Also, uh, before we move on, shout out to Shankster, who's always a big supporter of the show. And you can always respond to our comments at Yumper and Swole on Twitter. Or you can check us out at the new TainedGlove.com, where we have all our pods posted up and some blogs by us, along with the Tainted, Pod, uh, Tainted Glove podcast with Pete and Kevin, or Mr. Hand and Fids. So you guys can check us out there at the TainedGlove.com. And we're going to move on to our what we've been watching. So I can start us off on this one. So um, one movie I watch, I seem to get into when I'm kind of bored or I'm kind of just trying to relax is a movie called Confidence that was released in 2003. Uh, it's a movie directed by James Foley. And it has Edward Norton, Dustin Hoffman, Paul Giamatti, Andy Garcia, Rachel Weisz. Uh, it has like an all-star cast in my mind, Morris Chestnut. Uh, the movie is basically a con game that is based on this group of cons that get trouble for pulling a scheme on somebody they know was connected to somebody else. It's not the greatest movie, but it's a lot of entertaining, a lot of comedy. Uh, aspect to it. Uh, Andy Garcia is hilarious in the movie. Uh, also, awesome soundtrack by Christoph Beck. What about you, Swell? So, uh, I think it was uh, it was after a long day this last week for my wife. She came home and we kind of just wanted to hang out together downstairs in the basement and I rented Dog with uh, Channing Tatum and uh, German Shepherd. Those are the, the stars of the movie. Um, and I thought it was going to be a pretty cliche you know, dog doesn't get along with the owner. Owner doesn't like the dog. Um, but it actually was a lot more. It was a lot. Um, there were some deeper, deeper messages on there, and it was a kind of a a nice look into the minds of someone that's struggling with PTSD. Uh, Channing Tatum was uh, uh, a soldier in Afghanistan, and the dog that is in the movie was his partner's um, like partner in Afghanistan. So the dog was actually dealing with some PTSD, and so was Channing Tatum. It's a very good movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it does tug at the heartstrings, um, and I am going to give a small spoiler alert because I would never have someone do this. But the dog does not die at the end. The dog lives. Um, so watch this movie. I really enjoyed it. And then on St. Patrick's Day, I was home alone because uh, my wife was out working, and I decided to watch Leprechaun Origins from. I think it was 2016 or 2017. And it's a, it's a little bit more serious take on the leprechaun lore uh, that we know. Like, like the original leprechaun was really campy and really corny. Jennifer Aniston was in it. Um, and this one is, is still a crazy premise, but it's a little bit more serious and a little bit more darker. Like the Batman, but with leprechauns. Yeah, actually, I really enjoyed kind of like the storyline they had of that movie because um, I think Warwick Davis is awesome in the original one. But the story they made up for the movie, like the way they built everything around the leprechaun was cool. But the way they made him look was just horrible. <laughs> he just Absolutely bad. agree. But yeah, that's what I've been watching these last couple weeks. Yeah, so I have one more movie I actually checked out. And it's actually a, a movie from 2013 called 47 Ronin. Uh, as, you, as you know, I, probably, I love a lot of... Um, time pieces and like anything with martial arts samurai that's something that's like right up my alley uh, it's a movie directed by carl reich and it's actually a american spinoff of the, the 47 roman samurai that actually went and avenged the death of their master and fought corruption during their time 
Uh, it stars actually Keanu Reeves, who plays a half Japanese, half um, they have like a mystic uh, ethnicity there. That are like people who are magicians and wizards and whatnot. It's kind of like a real fantasy take on it, but it's actually very entertaining. And I think in reality, if you just look at the feature of the character or the, the features of a character that Keanu plays, there's nobody else that could play it but Keanu. Um, it's very entertaining. It ha- also has um, Hiroki Sanada from, you might know him from Last Samurai or even the new Mortal Kombat movie. He plays Scorpion, the Japanese version of Scorpion. Uh, and Kerry Ta- Tagawa, which is actually the uh, Emperor, uh, not Emperor, Shang Tsung from the original Mortal Kombat. So it has some actually good good actors in there. And the movie was actually pretty entertaining. I love almost anything Keanu Reeves is in. I'm very excited for John Wick 4. Uh, although I will, like full disclosure here, I have not watched The Matrix Resurrection yet. I have watched it. Um, <laughs> it was I, I. I. You know what? I. Me and K. Fids get into this all the time. This argue, this debate. The original Matrix I thought was great, and I know it's an allegory for certain things. But I thought the second and the third one just the second was okay, and the third one was kind of low. The new one is a different take on certain things, but also leaves the story kind of like it has a lot of plot holes in my mind. Or even you'll see, like when you watch it, it has a lot of plot holes. So that's one thing of the movie I didn't like. So I, it's okay. I don't think it's great, but I don't it's okay. disagree with you about the sequels at all. In fact, um, I bring him up a lot because he was one of my he's one of my primary like movie like role models. My cousin Mark used to call it or refer to it as uh, the Matrix Revolutions um, instead of Revolutions because it was it was awful. Like it, like there's no, like you can't sugarcoat it. It was terrible. Um, the second one was okay, but the third one was just absolutely brutal. And the funny thing is, is that I actually love, um, the Wachowskis. I love Speed Racer. It's one of my favorite movies. I love some of the things that they do. Um, I hope that in 15, 20 years that people talk about Speed Racer. Um, being like a, a hidden gem and an underrated classic because it absolutely is. But I think the Matrix movies have jumped the gun for me. But I am going to watch the fourth one just for the sake of watching it. But I digress. Yeah, same with me. I went to go see Matrix Revolutions at uh, the theater when I was in college. I was actually kind of excited to go see it. And when I walked out, I'm like, it's kind of like a rehashing of the first movie. That's just the absolutely. way I felt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I did see a new movie yesterday. I forgot to mention this. I saw Studio 666 with my wife. Did you rent it like I told you to? Yes, I rented it. Who And who who told you to do that? You did, Mrs. I, did. Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm I'm getting like my, my credit where it's yeah, due. So I so watched when it. When your wife listens to this, who we know is the big Foo Fighters fan, that it wasn't some grand gesture from her <laughs> husband, that it was your <laughs> podcast partner that put this out in the world for her to have. In my defense, I did not know it was available for rent. I thought it was only in theater. Well, as someone that uses Apple products every single day, right? The biggest part of our ecosystem is the iTunes store and the app store. So I am consistently checking every day um, to see what's new and what's released, especially in the, like the COVID era where a lot of these movies were released directly like to, to video on demand. I 
if I can watch something at home on my TV in my basement, I'd like to take advantage of it. Um, so I saw that and I text you immediately because I know how big of a Foo Fighters fan your wife is. Yeah, she really is. Uh, them and the Chili Peppers are like her two favorites. But no spoilers, but the movie is, to me, was a Foo Fighters music video like play. Dave Grohl is hilarious in there. Uh, Pat Smear is his guitarist, old times guitarist, also was in Nirvana, a uh, traveling guitarist for Nirvana. He, he is hilarious. He's also in the, the Germs. Let's yep. like, come on, man. The Germs as well. But I mean, in reality, not, well, I guess our audience would know that. But yeah, them two and the movie are hilarious. It's just very campy and corny, but it's okay. <laughs> Jen liked uh, it a lot. I mean, I enjoyed the movie I, it was very it's long too it's like i think two hours i was surprised but oh and jeff garland's in it and he's plays a hilarious part as well it's an hour and 46 minutes and 30 seconds yeah it's according long. to the, according to the itunes store um so it's no that's not long for a comedy like that i didn't realize jeff garland was in it yeah um i uh, love jeff garland jeff garland and curb your enthusiasm for my money is like fantastic also my wife and i it's a guilty pleasure. We love the Goldbergs. And it is not the same without Jeff Garland in there. In fact, some of the worst CGI I've ever seen was the last three weeks of the Goldbergs because they edit him out and they just do a voiceover and it's awful. But I will watch it strictly so it's for not like Livia Soprano CGI. It's, it's worse than Olivia Soprano CGI. <laughs> oh my God. But uh, I will be I will check it out just because Jeff Garland's in it. So I might rent it sometime this week. Actually, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to rent it for our uh, flight to Vegas and put it on the iPad. Yeah, it's it's really campy. I mean, but there is a lot of good things in the movie. Like, like it's a horror movie. So there's a lot of like uh, good callbacks, like The Exorcist. Um, there's a lot they of left. shot. There's a lot of shots where he like you could see um, like there's a scene cinematography. Like you can you'll recognize him right away when you see him. I will. I will see that for sure. So I mean, I'm a fan of I'm a fan of Dave Grohl. So yeah, and Dave Grohl seems like a like a hilarious guy. Um, I know my wife read his autobiography, and she said he's you know hilarious, and he actually lived in a haunted house, so that's kind of cool too. But yeah, uh, check out the Studio Six Six Six. Let me know what you guys think. But with that, let's get into our uh, meat and potatoes of the show. So as that you know, delicious, Yumper. That sounds delicious. <laughs> yes, it does. So as you know. We want to try something new and we went with a random year generator. We put in the last 20 years, 30 years into the generator and we got one year back and that was 1993. So me and Swell decided, why don't we do a draft from the movies of 1993? So let's do a draft NBA style. We pick our top 10 draft picks. Uh, so just a little tidbits about 1993. 1993 was a big year for movies and that era of the decade. Although it was the sixth most grossing year at $4.8 billion, that's still a lot of money at that time in the 90s. Um, there's a lot of movies in, this, in here that you're going to hear that are classics, uh, Oscar-worthy, etc. But always remember, guys, these are our opinions, and we would love to know yours. So opinions differ from everybody. Um, and with that, Swell, so, you ready to get into this? Yeah, let's do it, man. Um, I love it. Are the... Are the animations going to pop up or do we like to reveal them or do they just come up on the screen? Just curious. Just come up on the screen, sir. Oh, okay. I put effects in there for nothing then, Yumper. I'm sorry, man. They, they just come up on the screen. You know what it is. 
You know what it is, it's right? It's PowerPoint. Yes, I know. It's PowerPoint. Stupid Google Chrome. And you make me use this browser. It's not me. It's StreamYard. It. We record on StreamYard. Check us out on YouTube. I know. I know. I'm just busting <laughs> chops. I'm just busting chops. Um, but let's get to our, my first pick. You can be anything you want to be. Remember, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't do the right thing, then nothing happens. But when you do right, guess what? Good things happen. You hear me? A Bronx Tale, directed by Robert De Niro in his directorial debut, starring Chaz Palminteri, Robert De Niro, Lilo Broncato, Catherine Narducci, Terrell Hicks, and Joe Pesci plays a part in it. Uh, this movie was based off Chaz Palminteri's one-man show, also named The Bronx Tale. It was sought after by so many people, and Palminteri has gone on record saying that this movie basically saved his life in terms of financially. He was living out of his car, not making much money doing his stand-up show. And people were coming to him, asking him to buy the script for the show, but he wouldn't sell it unless he was actually starring as Sonny. Um, and Robert De Niro actually saw the show and said it was probably the best one-man show he's ever seen and offered him the money to do so as long as he got to play Lorenzo and Palmateri automatically accepted. Uh, probably one of the best movies I remember growing up. Great soundtrack. Great characters in there. Uh, not your uh, typical mob movie. A lot of life lessons are actually put in through this uh, movie, like a waste of talent is a big one. Uh, know your friends. Uh, always uh, work hard. The working man's always a persona, that, a persona and line that's always used throughout this movie. Just an all-time classic for me. That's why I had to have it as my number one. Um, yeah, absolutely. The soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, the scene in the bar where they use um, it's a, it's a cover of a Beatles song. Um, now you can't leave. And I'm surprised that's the audio that you didn't use. There's two audios. There's two audio clips that I'm surprised you didn't use. One um, is when, when Sonny tells him to let her in the car. And if she unlocks the door, then she's the keeper. So I'm surprised you didn't use that one. And I'm surprised you didn't use the other one or the working man is a sucker would have been a good sound bite, but you killed it with that. I love it. I love that you did that. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hard to go with the, uh, I want to use the now you can't leave, but, for some reason, we get flagged a lot on YouTube if we use certain music. So I didn't no, want to skip. It. It's cool. I, I think I think that was perfect. Um, I love this movie. The other thing that that I didn't hear you mention is this movie was a very very like not early because it was ninety three, but they talked about racial relations a lot in this movie, and they touched upon some things that were still sensitive to people, and uh, they did a really good job of it. And uh, you know, um, Brancato went on to play Matthew Bevilacqua in The Sopranos, and he had some some struggles with the law in his personal life. Uh, but he absolutely, like, was fantastic in this movie um, as Colosio. And I love this movie. You stole it from me only because you got the number one pick. It also would have been my number one pick. Yeah, I'm sorry, man, but I couldn't... The movie is just so great. So many memorable characters from Jimmy Whispers to Eddie Mush. I mean, Eddie Mush is still talked about today when people say you mushed it as a degenerate gambler. It's it's fantastic. I, I love this movie. I could watch it. I introduced it to my wife a few months back for the first time. And even she, someone that doesn't like mafia movies or mobster movies, she loved this movie. And also like uh, Lilo Broncado, his his appearance, he looks just like a young Robert De Niro. Absolutely. With the mole and everything. Like it looks like you're looking at a young Robert De Niro. And I found it funny. I was reading up on him. He actually auditioned by doing the monologue from Raging Bull. 
that he uses in uh, the movie Renaissance Man. What's funny is that yeah, I was just I was just gonna say it like it turns out he's in a bunch of my favorite things. He's in a Bronx Tale. He's in Renaissance Man, which you and I had a whole conversation about a couple weeks back. It's a severely underrated movie. Um, and then he plays a pretty integral part in uh, I want to say season two of The Sopranos. Um, yes, with uh, with with uh, sorry, Chris Moltisante. So um, he's he's turned out to be in a bunch of projects that like are very very important to me in terms of stuff that I love. So uh, fantastic pick, Yumper, with the Bronx Tale. And let's get to Swell's pick. It is just a delay. That's all it is. All major theme parks had delays. When they opened Disneyland in 1956, nothing worked. Yeah, yeah. But John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Directed by the great one, Steven Spielberg, based off the book by Michael Crichton, starring Sam Neill, Lord Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Atterberg, Wayne Knight, and Samuel Jackson. We can only be talking about the great Jurassic Park. This movie made over a billion dollars on a $63 million budget. Oh, and it won three Academy Awards. Tell us about your picks, Will. Um, so before I get into like the 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 bones of this movie, um, the summer of 1993, I had to go and stay with my mom. And my mom lived in this small, tiny little town in Indiana. It's called Oxford, Indiana. And the population couldn't have been more than a couple hundred people. And my mom tried to fill the weekends like that. I was there with stuff to do. And she took us, she was like, Hey, I want to take you to the drive-in. Like, I want to take you to the movies. What do you want to see? And I was like, Jurassic park, Jurassic park. Like, I can't wait to see Jurassic park. But my stepdad wanted to see last action hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I had to go see last action hero. And I didn't get to see Jurassic park till two weeks later when my dad took me to see it at Stratford square mall in Bloomingdale. And when I saw it, I was absolutely blown away. It was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Um, I loved it. I immediately like wanted to see it again. The first time that you see the dinosaurs is it's like to quote another favorite movie of mine, super bad. It's like hearing the Beatles for the first time. Like it's, it's filled with action and dinosaurs and fantastic acting performances and Samuel L. Jackson with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, like at the computer, and and Newman as Nedry um, setting up the systems to fail. It's the perfect summer blockbuster that all summer blockbusters should try to build around. I love it, and I still love it to this day. And even though I think Chris Pratt is a complete tool, I am very excited for the last part of the Jurassic World trilogy because who doesn't love freaking dinosaurs? Sorry, I've said my piece. Yumper, why do you like this movie? No, I completely agree with you, especially the part about dinosaurs. And one of my good friends, uh, Johnny, is a huge fan of dinosaurs right now, even as an adult. Anything with dinosaurs, he goes to see. That's why he saw all the sequels and the new movies, anticipating the movie, the new movie coming out just like you. Uh, I remember this movie, frankly, for just going for the uh, screen experience. Um, my dad took me to Fort City Ball. And I was like eight, I think I was eight years old because this was a summer blockbuster. Uh, we went to Fort City Mall, and I just remember sitting there and just hearing the stomping of the Transformers Rex when it was coming, seeing the water move, the vibration, and hearing that in the theater. I always remember that in my head, just hearing that. And then when it came on v VHS, yes, we're that old. We bought it on VHS. I watched it like a lot. 
love the character actors in it. Jeff Goldblum is awesome. Uh, love the uh, Richard Attenberg with Burrow with the his complete dialogue as the famous, you know, uh, person that we ran a flea circus for money, and now he's a millionaire that wants to run all the develop all these dinosaurs. Samuel Jackson has such a small part, but it's such a big part of the whole culture of Jurassic Park with the hold on to your butts. Uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern were awesome. Jeff Goldblum, can't say enough about him. So many memes are made from this movie today, so it still holds like a lot of weight. The CGI hasn't aged well, but just the nostalgia of the movie impacts a lot of people. I mean, this movie was a movie that Fitz told us when we had our Oscar, uh, our Oscar episode that you know it really got him falling in love with movies even more with the John Williams soundtrack. Yeah, it's uh, well, and in its defense, like the special effects might not have aged well, but it was also the first time that a lot of these special effects were ever used. Yeah, right. Yes. So, like things are perform things that things have changed tremendously. So it's no fault of the movie. They took some chances. They took some risks. They paid off. Um, before we go on to round two, I got to ask this because um, I think it was a conversation that everybody had with their friends when this movie was in the theater and and popular. But what was your favorite dinosaur in the movie? The Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> uh, see, for me, and I, I think it comes back in Jurassic World Fall, or Dominion, the Dilophosaurus, the spitter. When he spits the black tar at uh, Nedry, man, I wanted to see more of that dinosaur. It was, was really awesome. cool. And that was actually uh, animatronics that, uh, that they did. That Stan Winston like, um, uh, company did the animatronics for that, I believe. Same thing for the... Uh, Transverse Rex. I think they actually didn't they have the Transverse Rex on display at the Field Museum for a while in Chicago. They might have, yeah. I, I could vaguely remember that. I don't, I, somebody call me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But yeah, just the animatronics were awesome, and that's why it won for uh, visual effects, like an Oscar for it. And the sound mixing, like I said, with the vibrations of the Transverse Rex walking, the sounds that he made were that Spielberg put in. I'm saying to make the, the dinosaurs sound like because we we actually don't know what they really sounded like. But they, um, the way they made it in the movie were awesome. Uh, it's just a, it's so good. I, I could still watch that today and still be happy with it. Like, Absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited to show my son Jurassic Park when he's a little older so he understands. Absolutely. Absolutely. The scene, in, the scene where the, the T-Rex is chasing them and they show him in the rearview mirror, um, is, to me, is one of the finest pieces of filmmaking that's ever existed. Um, and I know, and I don't mean that like, oh yeah, Citizen Kane, The Godfather, like, it's just a good lesson in movie making, in my opinion. Yeah, especially like the little details where it has the things may appear larger than they are in the mirror, which is ridiculously hilarious. But yeah, it's just so many good things about the movie. So it's a very formidable number one. If you were going to take Brock, say, I probably was going to take Jurassic Park as my number one, too. So, but uh, let's get on to our second pick. All you have to do is tell me what it's worth to you. What's a person worth? No, 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 no. What's one worth to you? Schindler's List, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Liam Nelson, Ben Kingsley, Ralph Fiennes, Carolyn Godel. Movie won seven Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director. Made over $322 million at the box office on a $22 million budget. Movie is... Drastically, like very, very drastically depressing, but very, very beautifully told by Steven Spielberg. 
I think this is probably one of his best moves, if not the best. It has some competition there, but the way it's shot in black and white, um, besides the girl in red, which is another great point in the movie. If you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I'm spoiling this, but this is also a 25-year-old movie. But it's it just, the way it's beautifully shot, Liam Nelson is great as Oscar Schindler. Ben Kingsley plays an awesome role in it. Um, such a great, awesome movie. It, it's so depressing, but yet so beautifully told. And it shows the horrors that the Jewish people faced during the Holocaust and what Oscar Schindler did to try to protect those he could. What do you think, Swell? Yeah, I, I don't want to say too many things because I don't want to trivialize or um, like lessen the impact that this movie had. This is Steven Spielberg's best work and probably one of like his most personal movies. The performances were great. Um, Everything that you said about the way it was shot, the girl in red um, is perfect. And um, yeah, like there's, I I don't want to, I don't want to lessen the impact that this movie has by saying anything about it other than you should watch it because I still think to this day, it's an important story that like we should never forget. Totally agree. It's still a lot of meaning there and it's still something that holds up to this day. I will um, say that it's a fantastic first date movie. Um, if you're going to go see it. I was actually just going to say that. <laughs> Bring your first date to watch it. AKA K Fitz. <laughs> Love you, Kev. But let's get to your pick. Say, man, you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. <laughs> Days and Confused, directed by Richard Lakelater, starring Jackson London, Jason London, Ben Affleck, Mila Djokovic, Cole Hauser, Parker Posey, Adam Goldberg, Matthew McConaughey, Nikki Cat, Lauren Wilson, Renee Zellweger, and Rory Cochran. A movie was basically a underperformer at the box office on a $6.9 million budget. It made $8 million, but it made a lot of money on VHS. And just to develop a cult following, we could have added this one to our cult following as well, but uh, Quentin Tarantino actually included this movie in the list of the top 10 greatest films of all time. Tell us why it's at your number two as well. Um, I've told this story before to you, to everybody, but whenever I see this movie, it makes me wish that I was 16 years old in 1976. Um, I want to have a party at the Moon Tower. I want to drink beer out of the backseat of El Camino, um, out of the trunk of an El Camino. The soundtrack is fantastic. Um, was it Jason London or Jeremy London? Jason London. Jeremy was in Mallrats, right? I don't know. Uh Whatever. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit? <laughs> um, um, ben Affleck is such a tool in this movie. Cole Hauser is awesome. Nikki Cat is like, you know, I came here to drink beer and kick some ass and I'm all out of beer. Um, when they're at the Moon Tower, you know, the, the, the paddles for freshman initiation. It's a fantastic movie that makes me wish that I got to be alive in this time. I wasn't born uh, for five more years, but I love this movie. I love the music. I had a, a like a great conversation about this movie last night with my my dad as we went to the United Center to see the Eagles. Um, and it's it's just a good movie, man. It's so quotable. I yeah. How about you, Yump? 
Same, man. Uh, it's very quotable, very memorable characters. I mean, the opening clip I used was Matthew McConaughey, who fits that persona as a beathead. Uh, the movie is hilarious. Ben Affleck is such an asshole in the movie and a person that hasn't outgrown um, his childish things when he's a second year senior or repeating senior, basically, that goes and does the paddles. And the crazy thing is, this movie, I think, takes place in one night, right? It goes from the beginning always like the, the beginning of the day to the end like the next day yeah it's it all takes place in one night the last day of school in 1976 um which i think was the the centennial like the 100 year anniversary like of the united states mm-hmm. and they talk about it in the um in the movie they're like remember when you're out there celebrating on the 4th of july just remember you're celebrating the fact that we didn't want to pay taxes um and then it goes into the party at night, the last night of school. Um, and it's about the football team and relationships with friends and, you know, trying to fool around with the hot girl. It's just a very, very good movie, very relatable uh, because those themes transferred over to, you know, like our 80s movies and then our 90s movies and then our 2000s movies. Everyone, every generation has that movie, right? Um, where you're, you're, you're touching on these subjects and it's, it's good. Richard Linklater is fantastic. He's done a bunch of other great things. Uh, I love, I love him. Yeah. It's just a fantastic job. Uh, it pulls like, like you were saying, it pulls a lot of influences from the eighties movies that we discussed in our episode too. Uh, but it's something that took its own spin on it. And that's what I liked about it a lot. Like a lot of memorable characters in this movie. And I really recommend you guys watch it. It's my wife, one of my wife's favorite movies. It's one of the first movies that we actually watched together. She showed me this. I mean, I've seen it before, but like it's like one of her favorites. So definitely check out Days and Confuse. Let's move on to our third picks. You must be Doc Holliday. <coughs> well, that's the rumor. You retired too? Not me. I'm in my prime. Tubestone, directed by George P. Costamatos, depicts the uh, gunfight at the OK Corral and the Erp Vendetta ride. Uh, the movie stars Kurt Russell, Val Kimmer, Michael Bean, Powers Booth, Bill Paxton, and Stephen Lang. The movie made about $72 million on a $25 million budget. Why I picked Tubestone number three, I love westerns, and I cannot overlook the performance by Val Kimmer as Doc Holliday. The movie is a decent movie. It's a good portrayal and like more of a Hollywood style of the OK Corral. But Val Kimmer steals the show in the movie. As his, and I was looking at the Oscar nominees and Val Kimmer should have at least took over at least one of those spots to be nominated for supporting actor. This is probably, in my opinion, his one of his best roles, if not his best role. Uh, by his improvisation, the way he acted in terms of uh, uh, Doc Holliday, there's actually historical evidence that he used a lot of words that Holiday said that were written down and heard at the time. It's just an all-around great movie. And you have Sam Elliott and Kurt Russell, who's also one of my favorite actors from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> so it's a great movie. I loved it. That's why I chose it as my number three. Yeah, I think um, yeah, you said Sam Elliott and Bill Paxton and um, like just the supporting cast is fantastic. Um, it's a great movie. It, 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 I don't like westerns. 
Like I never did like westerns. Like I always thought they were kind of boring. And there's been exceptions to the rule. Uh, but I love this movie, and it has probably one of the what's the most quoted quotable line from this movie? Yup. I'm your Huckleberry. I'm your Huckleberry. Absolutely. Um, it's just a good movie, man. It's 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 kind of loud and obnoxious and gunfights, uh, but super quotable and a good movie. Also, Michael Rooker is in it too. Um, yes, he is. Michael, he plays a um Henry a, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, but in the movie he plays a uh member of Johnny Ringo's gang that actually turns good and helps out White Earp during the vendetta run. So the movie is really good. Like uh memorable characters in terms of that it's just an enjoy it's not an Oscar worthy movie in terms of story, but as far as far as character performances, yeah, Val Kimmer definitely should have got one. I, and I see a lot of people so arguing that to today, like he should have got at least a consideration, like serious consideration for the way he played Doc Holliday. I love Val Kilmer. Like I will always defend him as Batman. Um, I love him in Top Gun. I think he's one of the most underrated actors to do it. So uh, much love for Val Kilmer. Totally agree. Uh, also, another Val Kilmer movie I love a lot, uh, Thunderheart. Another great one. Oh, Thunderheart's good. Um, was that the serial killers on the, the, the no. Native American? It wasn't serial killers, but it had to do with they murder on the Native American reservation. On the reservation, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a good movie. Check that one out if you guys have a chance. But let's get to your number three pick. Yeah, I know you're not fucked up, don't you? I know it, don't you? <laughs> no, you don't fucked up. Directed by the Hughes Brothers, Men's the Society stars Tyron Turner, Jada Pickett, Lorenz Tate, Bill Duke, and Charles S. Dutton. The movie was filmed on a $3.5 million budget and it made $30 million. It deals with a lot of many social, uh, social issues that exist today that we're dealing with in 2022. So why did you choose it as your third pick, Swell? Uh, first of all, this movie is fantastic. It was, um, it took everything that John Singleton did with Boys in the Hood a couple years prior and built on it. Um, it it kind of sh- shined a light or shone a light um, on, you know, what it was like to live in like urban Los Angeles um, and the things that were going on there. Uh, Lorenz Tate as O-Dog um, it has some very, very memorable lines that were quoted and spoofed and memed a million times. Uh, the soundtrack is all 90s gangster rap. That's pretty fantastic. Um, originally, O-Dog was supposed to be played by Tupac, but he got into a fist fight with the Hughes brothers while filming the movie, um, and they replaced him. And Lorenz Tate came in. Um, and I can't imagine the movie without Lorenz Tate. Like, I love Tupac. Tupac's my favorite rapper of all time. Uh, so um, I can't imagine this movie with him because that's how good Lorenz Tate was in this movie. I just I think it's a, a great movie that hits on things that are, are relevant and things that we need to talk about. Uh, just a great all-around movie. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, one thing that stood out to me about this movie is that with the character of Kane, uh, Tyrene Taylor's character, is actually somebody that you kind of like don't like. Just so what he does in terms of the way he robs people. He's not a really a He's kind of like an anti-hero in this movie. Like he's he does a lot of bad things, but you see how he thinks like why he has to do these bad things and why you know the situations around him so socially. Uh, 
and then his decision what the outcome of his decisions and how they affect his story and basically his life throughout the movie i completely agree with you he's not a very likable character through a large portion of this movie um there are like glimpses of hope and things that you see in him where you're like this is not a bad person just a guy that a person that's very misguided right now and doesn't know the difference between right and wrong um but he he does some things in here that like are unforgivable, but there's still that, that little piece of his conscience in his head that he's like, I, I shouldn't do this. I should leave. I should go do this. Um, you know, and the movie ends and he has to, he has to pay the price for those things. There's consequences to your actions. Um, the Hughes brothers, I think are an example of directors that could have been two of the biggest directors on the planet. And for some reason, they, decided to go different routes. They did Dead Presidents after this, which is a fantastic movie. And then they made this documentary called American Pimp. And it was about like the pimp game. And it had um, you know, appearances from like famous pimps in in the world, right? And they never quite got to where they needed to be or where John Singleton was. Um and I know it's not right to compare the Hughes brothers to John Singleton, but Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood are always mentioned in this same like in the same like genre, and they they just never quite got there. I know he went on and he did one of the Hughes brothers went on and did Book of Eli, I think, with Denzel Washington. Um, but they just never they never quite got there, and this was a perfect example of their talent. Yeah, actually, they both did Book of Eli. They did Book of Eli after um, From Hell, which is their follow up to American Pimp. And from hell was okay. It was the Jack the Ripper with Johnny Depp. Uh, but yeah, not, they haven't done anything really drastically impactful. Uh, the last thing that I'm looking at were Albert Hughes. The last thing he did was The Good Lord Bird, and that was in 2020. And Alan Hughes did a The Defiant Ones, a documentary miniseries in 2017. So they haven't really put anything you know, out there that's impactful. Hopefully, maybe they'll do something in the future, uh, I mean, they're still relatively young. They're both only 49 years old. They just like they had such a powerful voice with Menace to Society and Dead Presidents. I, I just want I, w- I would love to see more from them. It, it, it kind of goes back to um, and it's it, it's probably not that serious, but it goes back to the, the quote from a Bronx tale like about wasted talent. Yeah, I, I could totally see that. But I mean, like I said, they're still 49. So hopefully they can get something else in the mix because they're still both very talented individuals. Yeah, I would love to see what other stories they had to tell. But with that, let's go to our fourth picks. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. Groundhog Day, directed by Harold Ramis, starring Bill Murray, Addie McDowell, Chris Elliott, and Steven Toblowski as Ned. Uh, The movie made $105 million on a $30 million budget. This is one of the first movies I saw in high school for film class. Uh, we actually did a study on this and they incorporated it to um, religion, actually. Is he doing bad things? Is his bad decisions causing his outlook in life, like where he has to repeat his mistakes? Uh, I thought it was a nice little turn on it. I went to a Catholic high school, so that's the, uh, where I grew up. Where did you go to high school, yo? I went to St. Rita, brother. Go Mustangs. <laughs> My dad's going to listen to this pod this week and be very happy you said that. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
But it's just one of my favorite movies with Bill Murray. Harold Ramis directed it. I, they're, he's a comic genius along with Bill Murray. I love the story of the movie as terms you keep repeating the day. There are so many fan theories that have gone out there that are hilarious. Like Ned being the devil and the reason that uh, Bill uh, repeats his days is because he doesn't buy the insurance for him which means he's making, making amends for his sins. Just stuff like that. The movie is hilarious, though. And Bill Murray improvises a lot of his dialogue. Um, what do you think, Spo? I love Groundhog Day. I don't know. Like, you grew up um, not far from where my family's from. But do you remember Harlem Corners on, like, 87th in Harlem? Yes, I do. I saw this movie at Harlem Corners with my aunt, um, who was a very important person in my life. She took me to see it, and she loved this movie. Um, it, it's hilarious. It's funny. Like his relationship with like having to report about Punxsutawney Phil every year. He, he, he hates it. He, he wants out. He wants to get it done in one take and leave. Then he's stuck in this tiny little town um, in Pennsylvania, which actually is in Woodstock, Illinois um, filmed locally. And, and Ned, when he steps off the ledge or steps off the curb into the street, into the slush, this movie is hilarious. I love this movie. I love Bill Murray. This made me like really appreciate Bill Murray besides, you know, Bill Murray and Ghostbusters. I love Bill Murray and Ghostbusters, but this movie made me appreciate all the things that he was capable of. And then I reappreciated him again years later when he did Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation. Um, just one of the best all around actors. And I don't know if he gets his due. Like people like him and people appreciate him and he has this following, but I don't know if it's because they think he's a good actor and he really is. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because doing a deep dive, you know, we I do do research on these guys. I don't just talk about them out of our butts. We try to be prepared for this. Uh, doing some research, this movie is actually the last collaboration between Harold and Bill. Uh, Bill actually didn't like the movie. He thought the focus was more on comedy and the theme of um, love finding a relationship he wanted it to be more about repeating lives to people repeating their lives to change um he him and harold ramus clashed a lot about that and they actually didn't talk and only reunited and when harold ramus was actually really sick a few months before he passed away which is really sad and another thing too danny rubin the person who actually wrote the script for this and story um was really scared about bringing this to Hollywood because he does, he hates the Hollywood cookie cutter. And when Harold Ramis read the script, they just made some subtitle changes to it to where it pleased him enough to get a writing credit. And this is the only movie that he's credited as a writer. So that's pretty incredible. He just went back to writing books and stories because he hates the Hollywood lifestyle and the Hollywood cookie cutters the way they make movies. So those two little things were really crazy. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, like uh, Chris Elliott was was great in this movie and Andy McDowell was was great in this movie. And, and you know, there's very it's it's still very quotable, obviously. Um, and I'll never look at I Got You, Babe by Sonny and Cher the same way ever again. Definitely, definitely. It's a classic. But uh, let's get on to your pick. Now just shut your goddamn pie hole. This Boy's Life, directed by Michael Ketton Jones based on the book The Boy's Life by Tobias Wolf, starring Robert De Niro, Ellen Barkin, 
Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Blechman. Uh, the movie was made a $4 million bu- uh, box office on a limited release. Let me know why you chose this one for number four as well. Uh, you know, once again, I, I tell the story about how my dad never bought or paid for HBO growing up. But for some reason, we always got free Encore. And the free Encore allowed me to discover a lot of movies that I don't know if I would have till later on in life. The Outsiders was one of them because uh, it was always on Encore. And this boy's life was always on there. And I saw this movie once and, you know, I always loved, I've always loved Robert De Niro. Like Robert De Niro is fantastic. And I saw this movie. I'm like, I hate Robert De Niro's character in this movie. He is a terrible person. He is the worst stepfather. Um, It made me realize like how lucky I was growing up with two step parents that weren't like this at all. Um, Like he is an awful person. He makes so many derogatory like comments to Leonardo DiCaprio's character about his sexuality, about the choices that he makes. Um, awful person, but he plays it really well. So you 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 feel for Leonardo DiCaprio, um, who is super young. I think he might have just gotten out of like growing pains to do this movie, like only a couple years prior. Um, Ellen Barkin is the mom that just picks up and moves at, at, you know, at will whenever she wants to change her situation. It's a fantastic movie. And I don't think people talk about it enough in terms of Robert De Niro's like finest works because his portfolio is so massive. This is a great freaking movie. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. Uh, it's a definite Robert De Niro hidden gem. Uh, he plays a complete asshole in this movie. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Yeah, it's the way, and it's it's not like his Max Katie, because you knew who Max Katie was. It's the way he sets you up in this movie. Like, you think he's going to be a, he sets up as a person who seems like he's okay, and then goes downhill from there. And that's relatable to real life, how people are fooled into marriage by people they think they know, and then when they marry them, it completely goes down the drain. That's uh, how I got fooled. Like, it happens. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And Leo, like you said, I think this was one of the first movies he came out of from Growing Pains. Uh, just showing his chops as an actor and showing him his development as he what he is today. This is another great movie just to check out. So I definitely would recommend checking out This Boy's Life. But let's get into our fifth round and our fifth picks. Who hired you to do that? Okay. Okay. Just let me think. His name was Julio Iglesias. The Firm, directed by Sidney Pollock, based on the book of, by John Grissom, starring Tom Cruise, J.J.N. Triplehorn, Gene Hackman, Ed Harris, Holly Hunter, William Brenly. He sure wasn't that nice diabetes guy in this movie. And Gary Busey with a couple of uh, special appearances by Paul Servino, which I thought was pretty cool at the end. Uh, this movie made a $270 million on a $42 million budget. One of my favorite Tom Cruise performances, Tom Cruise is excellent playing lawyers. He did it great in A Few Good Men. I think this movie is actually right after A Few Good Men, if I'm correct. He did, um, and from a guy who didn't even finish high school. Excellent actor and he doesn't get enough uh, attention as he should. I know me and Soul mentioned that 
due to his personal life in terms of with his whatever he does in his personal life kind of like clouds his acting ability and that is completely true he doesn't get the attention he deserves and this movie is awesome and William Brentley being a bad guy I can remember seeing that guy with the diabetes commercial you got sugar diabetes and him as a bag like a hitman in this movie is crazy also uh the jigsaw killer is a hitman in this movie Gary Busey's in this movie which is He's just out of his mind in this movie, but fills the role perfectly. And it's a good book. I think actually this movie is actually a better portrayal of the book. What do you think, Swell? Um, so, yes. First of all, let's adjust. Let's, um, let's address the elephant in the room. Wilford Brimley, uh, the diabetes guy, is something that my, my best friend Mike still texts me all the time. Um, except we don't quote the diabetes thing. He says, these are my testing supplies. I have diabetes. These are my testing supplies. <laughs> um, but it's something that, that I quote to this day all the time, the diabetes commercial. Um, this movie came out. I think there was a run of like John Grisham movies that were made into or John Grisham books that were made into movies. Um, and this was this was a good one. I don't think this was my favorite one. I think A Time to Kill was my favorite um, adaption of a John Grisham uh, novel. But this movie was fantastic. Um, he, he he does play a lawyer that discovers upon this secret. Uh, what was the oh, Pelican Brief, I think, was the other one. Yeah. So it was the firm, Pelican Brief, and A Time to Kill all came out like in con- like consecutive order. Um, and I don't know what the order was, but I'm almost there was another one too. The client. The client's a very good movie too, with Susan yeah. Brandon. Uh, so like, yeah, like Grisham put out like good stuff the dude could write. Also, do you know John Grisham wrote um the novel that Christmas with the Cranks is based off of called Skipping Christmas. Um, he wrote that novel and then they took that and turned it into Christmas with the Cranks. Um, it's his only like non like thriller novel, I think. Um, and Christmas with the Cranks, when we get to our Christmas episode, that's like, that's my hidden gem. I love that movie. <laughs> um, sorry, I digress, but this, this fits like all those, all those things that the John Grisham movies do. Like there's a secret that they stumble upon um, and then they have to hide it, but they find out that they found the secret and now they're after him and they send a bad guy to kill him. It happened to be Wilford Brimley with his diabetes testing supplies, right? Like it's a great movie. And it was a movie that like my family, like my, my two, my aunt and my aunt Jelaine and my aunt Pat both loved thrillers like this. And I've probably seen it a hundred times. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I love this movie. Um, but let's get to your number five. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Let me put it this way, Andy. Your place in the future of this firm is no longer secure. We feel it isn't fair to keep you here when your prospects are limited. Philadelphia, directed by the late John Demi. Starring Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, Jason Robards, Mary Stenbergen, Antonio Banderas, Joanne Woodward. This movie made another $206 million off a $26 million budget. Won two Oscars. This is the first of Tom Hanks' back-to-back Oscars, which next year he would win for Forrest Gump. I think, personally, this is a great movie, but Swole, let me know what you think. Why you chose this as your number five? Um... (sighs) I also don't want to trivialize this movie like we did with Schindler's List. Um, but there are a few things that like I will say about this movie. 
Um, as a kid that moved to the suburbs, you know, at eight years old, this was my first introduction to some things that I didn't know existed. Right. I didn't know about a world of, you know, gay men and their lifestyles or what the AIDS pandemic was like or epidemic was like. Um, and this movie fucked me up. Like, I'm sorry. Like this movie screwed me up. Like Tom Hanks was primarily a comedic actor and he had done some serious stuff, but nothing like of this magnitude. And I saw this movie and I saw the change in his physical appearance from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. Um, and it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I think this is an important movie. Um, I know that we don't talk about AIDS as much as we did, but this movie brought it to the forefront and made sure that like conversations were being had and we weren't, you know, stigmatizing people for what they were doing or how they lived. Um, and we still have a lot of work to do. We still have a hell of a lot of work to do. This is a very important movie. Yeah. This to me is probably, John Demi's best work. I know he directed Science of the Lambs, and I thought that movie was great. But this movie capitalizes everything that was going around at the time. Homophobia with Denzel Washington's characters addressed in there. Just how people who are dealing with the HIV virus and are were afraid at the time. And I mean, still, it's still kind of, people are still kind of afraid. We're a little more open now in 2022. But back then... Like if you had it, people thought it was a plague. They, like and that care that goes through even through with Dental's Washington character, how he goes and gets tested right away when he meets Tom Hanks, when he goes is afraid of being touched by him because he thinks he can it can pass by just a simple touch. And he gets educated on that. And but it also shows like the struggles that people who had HIV and eventually progressed to AIDS, what they went through, how employers ba can ba were basically discriminating against them. It just touches on so many social aspects. And it's so beautifully played by Tom Hanks. I personally, I think this is Tom Hanks' best performance. I know people will say uh, Forrest Gump me, uh, wrote the prediction, but to me, this is Tom Hanks' best performance. And he, he's a great actor, but this is probably his best performance, in my opinion. I would, I would completely agree with that this is his best performance. You know, the other thing is that this movie fo like follows a very similar form formula to American History X with Ed Norton where Denzel Washington plays this man and it's something that he doesn't understand and he doesn't agree with. And, and he says some things in the movie that like are hateful and hurtful. And he gets to know Tom Hanks's character, Andy, right? I think his name was Andy. Um, and, and he has a change of heart and it's very similar to like Ed Norton's character in American history X, where like he realizes like hate is wrong. Like it's not right to hate in your heart. And it's it's a very powerful movie. Um that like I can only I can only stand to watch it or stomach to watch it once every five years because it's it's that impactful and that like hard to watch. Totally agree. It's very impactful. Uh just like Schindler's list, but it still holds up to this today and it does like I said, portray the events that were happening at the time and even before that time. So if you also, haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Also, um, Bruce Springsteen wrote Streets of Philadelphia for this movie, and it's one of his finest pieces of work. And that is a lot to be said because the man has a catalog that needs to be celebrated.
So Springsteen wrote Streets of Philadelphia specifically for this movie. Yes, the boss. But let's move on to our next movie. But what I have to offer you, that's as good as it's going to get. And it won't ever get that good again. True Romance, directed by Tony Scott, written by Quentin Tarantino, starring Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kimmer, Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken, and James Gandolfini. Uh, this movie had a budget of $12.5 million, and it made $12.5 million at the box office. This movie is a follow-up to Reservoir Dogs that was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. He actually wanted to direct this movie at first, but then kind of fell out of love with directing it and let Tony Scott direct it, who Tony Scott is a fabulous director in his own right. But in my personal opinion, this is Quentin Tarantino's best writing in terms of characters throughout his film history. I know people are going to argue with me about that, but I think this is his best script in terms of the way he has characters develop. And he does, like if you notice, a lot of Quentin Tarantino's stories that are he does a lot of callbacks to characters. Alabama was a character mentioned in Reservoir Dogs. And he that he now he mentions her has her own backstory in here. So I love the movie. I love the it's very grimy and a very, very it's a it's a very violent movie. But the supporting cast is so great. James Gandolfini as Virgil, the fight he has with Alabama that is so like cringy in terms of the battle, but it's so impactful a part of the movie. It's just an overall good movie to me. What do you think, Swell? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I think that's a bold statement that this is Quentin Tarantino's best writing. Like, it very well might be. I think the thing that, that makes me want to not so much question that, but we don't know, is that we don't know what his script for Natural Born Killers was like because Oliver Stone chopped it and screwed it so much that it was a completely different movie when they made it. So I would love to, like... I know it'll never happen, but I would love to read what Quentin Tarantino wrote for Natural Born Killers and what Quentin Tarantino wrote for Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, to see what like his scripts would have been like for that. Um, I love basically anything Quentin Tarantino does, and I don't care that you know Tony Scott directed this movie. The supporting cast is fantastic. Dennis Hopper, I think, steals a large portion of this movie. Um, the comic book store scene is super cool. Uh, you're so cool, right? Like, um, uh, it's it's very quotable. It has, I, I think you you used the word grimy just a couple minutes ago. It feels like a grimy, dirt ball, strip club infested like movie. It feels like that. Like a like a film was put on the camera to film this movie to make it feel like what's the word I'm looking for? Like white trash, almost like. Uh, it's a great movie. I love Christian Slater in this movie. I love Patricia Arquette. Um, James Gandolfini has had so many good supporting roles. And Tony Soprano. It's a great movie. I love it. Yeah, you can totally see this Tony Soprano viciousness in Virgil in this yeah. movie. Um, but the, uh, like, Gary Oldman as like the 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 white Rastafarian like <laughs> drug dealer yeah. is just fantastic. Um, great. Like Gary Oldman's a great actor in his own right. Great, excellent at playing characters. The man of many faces, uh, they call him the new Lon Chaney of this our generation because he can basically transform to anybody. But uh, one thing I did find interesting when I was doing research for this is 
the two characters of um, Christian Slater and, Al- and Patricia Arquette's characters were supposed to die in the end of the movie. That's the way Quentin Tarantino had written it. And Tony Scott fought for them to live. And when Tarantino heard this, he was kind of upset until he actually saw the movie. And he thought there was no other better way to end it the way he did. So, like like I said, this is probably his best writing in terms of screenplay, in my opinion. But just that little thing is kind of cool to say, like, one of the greatest film writers that we've had in our, in our lifetime was cool with somebody else changing his work because it turned out to be better. You're you're not wrong, like at all. There, like it is cool. Like when when I guess you would say when real recognized real, like he, he realized that hey, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. And like just that little bit of humility there from one of one of the best directors of my time. Um, just that's so, super cool. Super cool tidbit that you found out there, Yumper. That's what we do, bro. I love it. But let's get into your sixth pick. Look at this sorry, miserable, squashed thing. Can anybody tell me what's wrong with this picture? Falling Down, directed by Joel Schumacher, starring Michael Douglas, Robert Duvall, Barbara Hershey, Rachel Ticotin, Frederick Forrest, and Tuesday Weld. Uh, This movie, again, was another blockbuster hit, making $96 million on a $25 million budget. Tell me why it's your number six, Will. Um, this movie to me is like an R-rated version of Office Space. This dude snapped and just had enough, right? Like, I the opening couple minutes where he's in his he's in his car and traffic is bumper to bumper in L.A. And he gets out of the car and he starts walking and he goes to this he goes to this convenience store, right? And he gets into it with the owner about the can of Coke, I think, right? Yeah. And he it's a whole thing and he takes the bat and he smashes up the the convenience store and like he looks into the convenience store owner's eyes as he's smashing stuff up and he just goes evil dies tonight. I hate you. <laughs> no, like I think everybody gets tired and fed up with their job or being stuck in traffic. Um, you know, and he was dealing with like a divorce, right? Um Michael Douglas's performance was great. When he, when he gets jumped, you forgot your briefcase. Um, it's just a great movie. I loved it. It was a movie that I wasn't allowed to see for a while. Um, and I'm not sure why, because I saw way worse shit than this. Uh, probably because my dad didn't want to see it. He wanted to see Platoon, but he didn't want to see Falling Down. So I didn't get to see it either. Um, but I, I love this movie. I love Joel Schumacher, man. Like I'll defend Joel Schumacher. He's made some great movies. Yeah, like, he has. Totally agree. Like I'm never, I, am a, I am a Batman Forever apologist. I'm well, not a made, Batman and Robin apologist, but I'm a Batman Forever apologist. He made Lost Boys. He made the Lost Boys. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies. Motherfucker. I'm trying <laughs> to watch the Lost Boys. <laughs> but uh, Falling Down, I totally agree with you. This movie has, has a lot of controversial outlooks on it. I was looking at the reviews at the time when this movie was released. It had some favorable reviews. Uh, but then looking at how they do an outlook, maybe in the more current time within the past five years, a lot of racial overtones in this movie. And I don't really agree with the way they're doing it. A lot of, uh, I was reading sort of several critics that were saying this movie pushes more towards white supremacy, which I don't really see it that way. I see it more as a person that's fed up with the way their life is going and basically finally snaps, as you said. Um, 
I, and then when he meets a white supremacist in the movie, he tells him how disgusted he is by him. Absolutely. And like kills him. So I don't know how you can incorporate that. Maybe because Michael Douglas is a Caucasian. I don't know. But I mean, I couldn't see anybody else playing this role than Michael Douglas. He plays it perfectly as a frustrated guy with his glasses. And, and a buzz cut and yeah, a white the, short sleeve shirt and tie. Remember that? Um, do you remember the Simpsons episode where Homer's trying to wear a short sleeve shirt and tie to church? And Marge <laughs> goes, Homer, you can't wear a short sleeve tie and uh, a short sleeve shirt and a tie to church. And Homer just looks at me and goes, Oh, but Detective Sipowitz does it because <laughs> he was talking about NYPD Blue. And like, that always reminds me of like Michael Douglas's short sleeve and tie and falling down. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good callback. Um, but yeah, Michael Douglas's character is this, ex- you know, he kind of like shows how people deal with everyday life. Like when they say, you know, when it gets go bad, it, go- it gets worse sometimes. Like the shit keeps pulling in, like shit rolls downhill. So sometimes it happens that way. Anybody that has ever driven down the Eisenhower at 830 in the morning knows exactly what it's like want to freaking snap because you're in bumper to bumper traffic yeah especially when they haven't fixed the fucking train station by the the joining area of 57 and 94 like right fucking horrible but i could totally see like his frustration and his personal life his aspects of his personal life were affecting him like i it's a it's a great movie um i definitely recommend you guys see this one it kind of reminds me of a video game like the storyline just keeps getting worse like but, it could be like a Grand Theft Auto type video game. Yeah, just like, like it, open world exploring LA because he hits all these different neighborhoods. Yeah, it just shows like the frustration. And it also shows how smart his character is at the end. Like it's to me, I, it's an enjoyable movie. It's graphic, but it's like an enjoyable in terms of storyline. I, I, and I do remember vaguely that when it came out, it, it was pretty controversial about the release. I think this and Colors are the, the movies. And I remember being very like criticized when they came out about the message in the movie. And Duvall was in both of those. And Duvall was in both of them. Yep, absolutely. Um, but let's go to our next one. You think you're big time? You're gonna fucking die big time. Carlito's Way, directed by Brian De Palma. Uh, it's written by David Kep, who's a great Hollywood writer. Starring Al Pacino, Sean Penn, Penelope Ann Miller, John Leguizamo, and Luis Guzman. Uh, the movie made $63 million on a $30 million budget. Uh, this movie stands out to me for two reasons. One, Sean Penn's character is terrific. Unreal. Great. The way he portrays him, the slimy that he is, Davey Kleinfeld. His hair. His hair, his look, that... Is just epitomizes like scumbag, uh, and the second one is everybody loves Pacino in Scarface. I, I mean, Swole personally don't. I hate it. I think Scarface is the most overrated gangster movie to ever exist. I get it. Is a dude that built his his empire up from nothing. This movie is better than Scarface. I will die on that hill. Totally agree with that way. And in Scarface, Pacino's from Cuba and doesn't speak any Spanish. Like, no dialogue besides Oye and uh, Diego, which is, weren't even Spanish words. They were invented for the movie. Um, in this movie, he has dialogue where he speaks fluent Spanish. And I love that part because it was adding realism. Uh, the Benny Blanco from the Bronx, how many times have you heard that? Uh, 
you think you're big time. This clip I used that has been used in a lot of house music in terms of when they lay down tracks as an opening, a cold opening, or in the, when they're spinning, you can hear that line played. I like this movie to me, like epitomizes me from '93 because I loved it and I still do. As you can tell, what do you think, Swell? I, I love this movie. Like I said, I think this is what this is everything that Scarface wishes it should be. Um, Scarface doesn't hold up well. This one does. Um, I love that, like, in an era where it was cool to talk about, um, like, Italian mobsters, they brought in, like, uh, was he Puerto Rican or Dominican in this He's movie? Puerto Rican. He's Puerto Rican, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, they, they brought in, uh, they, they focused on another ethnicity to talk about and what their struggles like growing up in New York or, like, what it's like living in a neighborhood like that. Um, and, you know, like, Carlito's just trying to go straight, man. Like he wanted to open up a car rental shop and like rent cars to tourists. They say that line in the movie a couple times. And you're right, Sean Penn is a dirt ball in this movie. Um and there the cool thing is, is as much as I, you know, I don't love Scarface, I get the appeal to it. Steven Bauer comes back and he's in a wheelchair in this movie. Um No, that's actually that's actually Vito Morgan's actually in the uh, wheelchair. You're right, but Steven Bauer's in this movie. Yes, he is. Right, Viggo Mortensen's in the wheelchair. I'm sorry, you're right. But, like, it's a great movie. It's fantastic. The dialogue's great. You're right. Like, like people quote this movie all the time. Like, you hear it in hip-hop. Uh, like, I never got into house music, but, like, I get it. Like, I get the quotes. It's it's a great movie. I, I love it. And it's not even my favorite Brian De Palma movie. The Untouchables is. The Untouchables is my favorite Brian De Palma movie. But for a couple reasons. They filmed it in my neighborhood. Like, the church that I grew up going to school is in the movie. But Brian De Palma could write and direct a freaking movie, man. This is a great movie. Sorry, I got animated there. No, no, that's totally fine. Like, I totally agree with you. Like, I, I like this movie just for the aspects I already, the points I already made earlier. Uh, I think this is probably uh, Pacino's Besides the Godfather. Um, one of his underrated gangster movies that we kind of look past because everybody falls in love with Scarface. Yeah. And I think this movie is better than Scarface. The dialogue is 10 times better. The filmography is 10 times better. The characters are 10 times better. John Leguizamo was a young kid and he got such a big role in this movie as Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Love it. Love um, this movie. Yeah. And Luis Guzman is hilarious as always. Uh, but let's get to your uh, number seven. Hurry up, batter. going to be a short game and I got to get home for lunch. The Sandlot, directed by David Mickey Evans, starring Tom Geary, Mike Vitar, Dennis Leary, and James Earl Jones. Uh, this movie had a budget of $7 million and made $34.3 million at the box office. Tell me why it's your number seven, Swell. And to me, it's my favorite sports movie of all time. It's about buddies. It's about being a kid in the neighborhood. It's about playing baseball. Like Those are all things that I love. Like I love hanging out with my homies. I love baseball. I love like uh, like being a kid was great, man. Like you make fart jokes, you hop the neighbor's fence, you have sleepovers at your friends. This has all those things, um, but it centers around baseball and it centers around friendship, and um, it's just a really good movie, man. Yeah, it has a lot of childhood uh, reminiscences with me. Like I playing baseball, like I played baseball till I got to my late twenties. Like, and I remember. The kids like in this movie how they love that baseball is everything to them, especially to um uh Mike Vitar's character. I can't think of his name right now. Oh, Benny the Jet. 
And he's a jet. Yeah, so it was everything to him. And that's how it was growing up. Like me and my brother played ball all the time to the point where like if we didn't have a ball, we used to take a fucking newspaper and roll it in a ball and tape it as hard as we could to make a real to make a baseball. So we would play with our friends in the street and backyards, whatnot. And this movie epitomizes that. The love of baseball, the American pastime, and how it affected me. It brought people together to play. And like I love the characters are in it. Squints with uh done with the lifeguard, Wendy Peppercorn. Wendy Peppercorn. Yeah, uh, Ham, Hamilton Porter. The guy still makes TikToks off Hamilton Porter. That's how big of an impact this movie made. A lot of kids are going to, a lot of people who grew up from our generation are going to say this is one of their favorite baseball movies. And it's a kid's movie, which I think is awesome. Baseball's a kid's game, man. Like, it, it, this is a baseball kid's movie. You know, the White Sox a couple years ago, um, pre-COVID, they hosted, like, after a Sunday afternoon game, no, maybe it wasn't a Sunday afternoon game, but whatever. I digress. Um, they showed this on the the big screen in center field, and they were selling like popcorn and licorice for like twenty five cents and a dollar. Um, and it was a super cool experience. I, I love this movie. Yeah, like no, everyone loves the Sandlot. Also, um, I think Mike Vitar also was in the Mighty Ducks too. So we went from baseball yes. to hockey. <laughs> yes, he did. But to go off your point of baseball being a kid's game, to quote another baseball movie I like, Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, that's a, that's a gem right there. He says, baseball is a game where grown men play and get paid. Yep. But yeah, let's uh, move on to our next one. Oh, sir, I saw it. Some angry member of the kitchen staff. Did you not tip them? Oh, the terrorists they ran that way. It was a run by fruiting. This is Doubtfire, directed by Chris Columbus, based on the book Madam Doubtfire by Annie Fine, starring the late great Robin Williams, Sally Field, Pierce Bronson, Harry Feinstein, and Robert Prowski. I had a budget of $25 million, and it made 441 at the box office. Uh, it won an Oscar for Best Makeup. And you could, if you've seen the movie, you understand why. Um, the movie is so popular, it became a musical in 2021. Uh, this is another one of my favorite movies growing up as a kid. Robin Williams is hilarious in the movie. Um, it also touches on a lot of things like how the bad breakups can be with divorces with wives and husbands and how they share time with their kids and how sometimes there are good fathers out there that want to spend as much time with their kids. Robin Williams' character is so in love with his kids and wants to spend time with them and cherishes them so much he actually dresses up as a nanny to spend more time with them, which is telling. I mean, the movie is just impactful. I mean, it still holds up to this day. I love Robin Williams. Um, yeah. It's just, to me, it's all around good. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Um, I think that... Uh... It, it, it's just a good like 90s movie robin williams is always going to be one of the best to ever do it it was a movie that like your family could put on on a sunday afternoon like after dinner and no one would complain about it but like you know i my dad was always around to see like the impact that it was like when like his dad wasn't around and he did everything he could to 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 be in their lives um i do want to say one thing uh, to to our audience right now, I don't hear these sound clips that Yumper puts together until we broadcast. So the reactions that you're getting from me are genuine because I'm excited to hear these clips. 
Um, and the run by fruiting and Mrs. Doubtfire is one of my favorites. So um, the, the reactions that you see, if you're watching the YouTube version of this are actually genuine. And I'm excited to hear these clips for the first time, but um, I love Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. I, I really love that movie. Um, I know it gets compared to Tootsie a lot, but it's nowhere near Tootsie. Tootsie's more of a political movie. This movie is based on more family oriented. Um, and I'm very happy that when they were talking about making a sequel to this movie, Robin Williams read the script and said, no, it's not, it's not good. I'm not going to do right. it. No, you which, can't do it. Which makes it's, you respect him more as an actor. It's kind of perfect. Yeah. But let's get to your number eight. Coneheads, directed by Steve Barron, starring Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, Chris Farley, David Spade, Michael McKean, and Michelle Burke. Uh, this movie had a $33 million budget and it came under with 21.3 at the box. Um, tell me why it's your number eight, Swell. To me, this is like the, like the way an SNL skit should be turned into a movie. Um, I think this and Wayne's World are the two best examples of how you could turn a skit into a movie. Um, I think Dan Aykroyd was hilarious in this movie. I think Chris Farley dating his teenage daughter is some of my favorite comedy bits in a movie, especially when she houses the Subway sandwich. It's like, I haven't seen someone house a sandwich like that since my mom. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just funny. He chews condoms as gum. Um, I, I just like this movie. I think I think it it was really, really well made and, and super funny. Yeah, totally agree. And also great appearances by other comics. Uh, Sinbad's in the movie. Sinbad as the guy that owns the pawn shop. <laughs> yeah. Belzar. <laughs> I knew you were daily. It was too good to be true. Like, <laughs> he's in there. Um, you have Jason Alexander appearing, Phil Hartman appearing later yep. in the, um, when they were on Romulac. Uh, just a well put cast. I really like this movie. It's really corny, but it's hilarious to me. It's so corny, but and it's it, funny, man. Like, I just uh, this is my favorite SNL adaption of a movie. Like, yeah. I know people are gonna say Wayne's World, um, but this this is how it should be done. I like it, and I always got love for Dan Aykroyd. I always will have love for Dan Aykroyd. Um, I just wish he would stop the Blues Brothers shtick. Like, I get it, man. Like, yeah, I mean, we know John was really important to him, so that's why he. I doesn't. know John was really important to him. But John's brother Jim is a tool, um, and uh, you ever, like jump when you meet when you meet my dad, like talk to like just bring it up casually in a conversation about how you love the way Jim Belushi represents the city of Chicago. Uh, like my old man will snap. He's like, I hate that son of a bitch. Like, hey, let's get a deep dish pizza and go to a pub stand. Like he does this imitation of him. And like he hates it, and it, that wasn't a Cubs joke. That wasn't uh, Cubs okay. Like I wasn't picking on the Cubs. I was picking on Jim Belushi. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Jim Belushi fan. It just makes me laugh when you said that because I told my brother this. Uh, I think he's okay, but I think he got a lot of his recognition because of his brother. Um, but that I digress. I don't want to get into that because I'm just going to rant. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, get to, let's get to round nine. Let's round nine. Right? So here are number nines. Stop it, Louie, quiet. Louie, stay. Louie, eat. You don't scare me anymore, Ma. Maybe everybody else here, but not me. You understand? Louie, sit. 
Lost in Yonkers, directed by Martha Coolidge, written by Neil Simon. It was based off his play that actually won a Pulitzer for drama that year, uh, starring Richard Dreyfuss, Mercedes Ruehl, Irene Worth, and David Strainan. I hope I said that right. Uh, movie is one of my favorites. Again, growing up, my brother, we watched this movie. It, it was really impactful in the way the kids were interacting with her, their father and their grandmother. Their grandmother is a complete one of those really, really iron people who grew up in a foreign country and did not know how to process grief correctly. So she took it out on her children and then eventually her grandchildren. She was very mean in the movie. Um, and you see such shines of her breaking character to be soft, but she's just a very mean lady. And it's a great adaptation of the play. Um, I think it's a good adaptation to play. This movie won four Tony Awards uh, for Mercedes Rue, Irene Worth, Best Play, and surprisingly, Kevin Spacey was the original Louis. And there was a lot of controversy that came out when he wasn't cast as Louis in the movie. Richard Dreyfuss was. But I think Richard Dreyfuss did a great portrayal of it. But he won for a Tony Award for playing the role and didn't get cast in the movie. So that's kind of crazy. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Will? I think for me, like this movie, it's a good movie. Like it, it was never anything special to me. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me about this movie is that it was the first movie um, to use Avid to edit it. And Avid is, was allowed filmmakers to, to edit and film stuff in a nonlinear like timeline. Um, and it first came out on the Mac two. Um, there's my little Apple plug. Um, but it came out on the Mac two, like one of the most popular computers that Apple has ever released. Um, so th this was a big deal to use that. It was it was done completely on Avid and a Mac computer. Um, super cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I didn't know that. It's it's kind of cool. But if uh, you get a chance, check this one out. It's got some comedy in it, and it's a nice little timepiece. But uh, let's go to your number nine. Third and seven. Okie Thunder Lion. What's your assignment? Kill the quarterback. If the tight end so hard, his girlfriend dies. Kill everybody. The program, directed by David S. Ward, starring James Kahn, Holly Berry, Omar Epps, Craig Sheffer, Dwayne Davis, and Christy Swanson. Uh, this movie had a budget between $15 and $20 million, and it only made a little bit above that at 23 at the box, but it made a lot at VHS. Um, why is this to your number nine, Swell? Well, the first thing is, is that the, the what are they, the Eastern... Um, uh, Eastern State Timberwolves, I think is the name of the team in the program. Uh, they're based off the Florida State Seminoles, my favorite college football and college program um, to ever exist. Um, college football is my first true love um, and, and basketball, like college football and basketball are my first true loves. Um, and this was based kind of off like when Bobby Bowden won his first national championship in 1993 with uh, – Charlie Ward and Warwick Dunn. Um, so I think some of these characters were based off there. Uh, the movie had some controversy um, in the trailer when they are like, uh, like not racing, but like sledding between cars. Um, they pulled that from the trailer. It's a like the football cinematography is corny as shit and it doesn't hold up, but it's about college football and it's about a college football program. Uh, you know, one of the dudes uses steroids and, and, stuff that like plagues college universities to this day. Um, they touch on some things that, that need to be addressed like sexual assault. Um, it's, 
I love Craig Schefter. I love James Caan. Um, I, I just think it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you in terms of the program. To me, it's a more updated version of All the Right Moves. Um, it shows a lot of things that athletes have to go to, college athletes, that is, to go through. And it shows how kind of cold-hearted these schools are. Uh, Craig Schefter's character has deals with alcoholism, and all they care about with his backup is can he fill in until he gets through whatever he needs to go through or his, how's this going to affect his Heisman campaign yeah and his backup I think even has like a sexual or a pregnancy or something like that and they, all they care about is well how many games we'll suspend him for right and, and just show and then Dwayne Davis like he's great in another movie uh, called Necessary Roughness where he plays yeah. uh, Featherstone he like tears his knee up in this movie though yeah he's like a, just, it was like you felt bad for him you felt bad for him and he basically talks talks about how schools which just didn't care if you went to class uh all they cared about was you playing and that's is how you made money and that, like it. his life is pretty much ruined when he tears his knee up like it just shows a lot of realism in sports and it still happens today so it, which sucks but i i uh i really enjoyed this movie um the guy with the steroids i can't think of his name at my uh, top of my head but that guy is fucking scary Dude, he was uh he played a Nazi in Higher Learning. He did along with, along with Cole Hauser. Um and he he is scary, man. He was uh that this movie this movie was, yeah, let me see if, what was his name um as Latimer, Latimer, Andrew Bernarski. Yeah, he he's just a big dude. He was in um he was in Street Fighter. I think he played Zangief. Oh, did he? He did in the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. So, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and he was in um, the program, and he was also in Higher Learning. He was also in Batman Returns, too. Was he the big guy that he blows up with a bomb? He might have been. He wasn't Bane, though. No, no, Batman Oh, ba- Batman Returns is with the, the Penguin, so I'm guessing he's a guy. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, he plays um, uh, Christopher Walken's son, um, oh, Chip okay. Shrek. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that he would like in the end when he puts the um, the skull paint on, like it just it, it, it's a memorable like visual to me to seeing him scream. But yeah, he totally was batshit crazy and intimidating in the movie. He also did the voice of uh, Lobo in like some of the DC. Oh, anime. nice. Yeah, yeah. But if you haven't seen the program, I definitely recommend you guys check it out. It's a good movie, absolutely. But let's go to our final tenth round picks. What can I say? I'm a blast from the past. <laughs> Should have stayed there. Demolition Man, directed by Marco Bambia, starring Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock, Benjamin Bratt, Dennis Leary, and Nigel Hawthorne. Uh, this movie had a $77 million budget and it made $159 million at the box office. Uh, to me, it's corny. It's probably one of my favorite action movies. It has Wesley Snipes with the bleach blonde hair. That actually inspired Dennis Rodman to dye his hair when he played for the San Antonio Spurs. Also, I find it hilarious that Stallone wanted Jackie Chan to play Dennis Rodman's character of Phoenix, uh, Simon Phoenix, but he turned it down because in Japan, the way they see their actors, if they play a bad guy, they kind of say it's not that really good in public for them to do so. I, I think it's changed now, but that kind of destroys kind of the reputation as being our movie job, I think. And Lori Petty was actually fired as Huxley because she hates Sly. But the movie is uh, corny. 
Taco Bell takes over the damn franchise wars, which is horrible, but it's just corny and hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, so the Taco Bell winning the franchise wars is hilarious. Having to wipe with three she- seashells um, and figuring out the seashell system is still something that still baffles me, you know, X amount of years later. Like, how does that system actually work? We're not going to get into that here, but how does that actually work with the three seashells? Um, it's loud. It's obnoxious. It's kind of everything I wanted the last action hero to be, but it wasn't. Um, I love this movie. I thought it was great. Like, I'll never, ever say a bad word about Demolition Man. Yeah, it's so corny and just hilarious. But uh, let's get into your final pick. Is he really going to run for mayor? Make a damn fine mayor, too. Good thing he's his mother's son. If he looked like you, he'd never get in the palace. Grumpy Old Men, directed by Donald Petrie, starring Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthew, and Margaret. Kevin Pollock, Ozzie Davis, Burgess Meredith, and Daryl Hannah. Uh, the movie had a $35 million budget and it made $80 million at the box office. Tell us why this is your number 10, Swell. I think this movie like sneaks into the top 10. One, it's hilarious, right? Like um, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon going at it. It's funny. Two, um, my father and his best friend as a kid used to vacation um in wabasha minnesota where this movie takes place as kids and sleep like on the mississippi river like in tents or whatever um and they used to go to the bar that this movie was filmed in it was called slippery dicks was the name of the bar in this movie um and they used to go to that bar as probably someone that shouldn't have been in a bar at their age but um uh but my, my grandmother had friends where this movie was filmed it's funny it's goofy they play pranks on each other it takes place in the snow. They go ice fishing. It's just a, a stupid, fun, wholesome movie that everybody can enjoy. Totally agree with you. And when I say grumpy old men, we're not talking about White Sox style or our one and only Mr. Hand. We just battled it out in the 108 tourney. But um, I think the movie is great in all aspects that it uses two legendary characters such as Walter, uh, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, who are the original odd couple. And they fit so perfectly. So this is basically the odd couple as old men. As old men. Which I thought was great. Uh, also, a, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry, Yumper. No, sorry. Go ahead. There's um, obviously this movie spawned a sequel, um, Grumpier Old Men, where um, they bring in not only Anne Margaret, but Sophia Loren. And um, Jack Lemmon's daughter, Daryl Hannah, who's in the original one, is getting married to Walter Matthau's uh, son, Kevin Pollack. And they're wedding planning. <laughs> um, and they're at the cake decorator. The cake decorator is this, you know, Midwestern, like, Minnesotan, like, woman. She's a big woman. She's like, well, we had an idea, right? She speaks in this Minnesota accent. And she's like, we're going to have the bride on the top with the fishing hook. And the fishing hook comes down, and it's around the groom's neck. And in icing, we're going to write... Melanie has landed herself another husband. And it's just a stupid quotable line that I quote to this day all the time. I love it. It's terrible. Uh, it's just a fun movie, man. Everybody likes Grumpy Old Man. If you don't. Yeah, it's hilarious. And also, um, Burgess Meredith. Everybody knows him as Mickey from Rocky. Um, but the man was the such penguin. a... Or the Penguin, yeah. But the man was such a good character actor like he shows his more comedic side in this movie <laughs> the outtakes the, yeah Burgess, Burgess Meredith's outtakes 
in this movie are hilarious because they're all sexual innuendos about like like slapping the salami in the grocery store and like it, the outtakes alone are enough for you to watch this movie if you haven't seen it 20 something odd years later yeah i we highly recommend this movie yeah um but with that those are our top 10 draft picks so let us know what you think at yumper and swole on twitter and check us out at the glove.com but let's go into our honorable mentions uh i can start off with my three i had what's eating gilbert grape as one of them great movie another great leo performance in it um tim burton's a nightmare before christmas and leprechaun all great movies. It's just kind of hard. This was a hard list to do and a hard draft to do. If we did top 20 movies, they'd t- definitely be in there. And to throw one in for Jen, my wife, son-in-law, another great movie. What about yours? So what were your honorable mentions? So my honorable mentions were Benny and June. Um, I think 93 was a year that uh, Johnny Depp really shined. Um, number two was Poetic Justice with Janet Jackson and Tupac Shakur. Um, it was John Singleton's follow-up to um, Boys in the Hood. And it really showed that Janet Jackson could act. She was a fantastic actress. Um, this movie was great. It had a great cast. Um, uh, Regina King was in this movie. Tupac, um, she, Tupac was in this movie. Um, also, um, uh, why do I want to say Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest was in this movie too. He was shot in the, at the drive-in. That was Janet Jackson's boyfriend that was killed at the beginning of the movie. Um, and then my final movie was Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Um, I didn't know a lot about Bruce Lee growing up. Like I never saw his movies and stuff. Um, and this kind of introduced me to him. And I thought this movie was really, really like it was a good watch and really fun to watch. And still to this day, like if it's on, I'll sit down and watch it. So I really like Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Yeah, that's a I actually like that movie as well. Um also the main character looked just a lot like him. Like yeah. they picked the perfect character to rep uh to represent him, um, portrayal him. But yeah, those are honorable mentions. Uh, Let us know what you guys think. Uh, With that, let's go into what we're going to be doing next. So as you know, we're going to make the trip down to Vegas. The Look Glove Network is going to make the trip down to Vegas. God help us all and pray for Vegas. We're going to go down there. I think think Vegas can handle uh, three dudes (laughs) in their 30s and 40s um, that um, don't run as fast as they used to. And... um, like to hit up the Chinese buffet. I think Vegas can handle us, man. <laughs> we'll see. We'll put that to the test. But uh, since we're going down to Vegas, me and Swole have been spitballing and thought, why don't our next episode be about Vegas movies or movies set in Vegas, excluding Casino, because we got something special for Casino planned forward. But why don't we do movies related to Vegas? So that's what we're going to do our next episode on. So episode six, when we come back for Vegas, will be a Vegas-themed movie reviews. That's going to be fun. It's going to be a good episode. And we'll uh, maybe we'll do a little slideshow like at the end of The Hangover um, with some of our photos that um, so our audience can see on the YouTube version. It might not be as uh, raunchy as The Hangover uh, photo roll or camera roll, but we'll get some photos from our trip up there so you guys can kind of see us all hanging out with the Tainted Glove Network, including uh, Aloha, Mr. Han, and the Reverend Kafids. Um, but we also have we also have a couple members of the 108 family joining us in Las Vegas. We have um, we have Wally. Wally Money's coming with us. Uh, follow him on Twitter. What is his What is his Twitter handle? You know, Big Sexy Seventy Five. Yep. Um, uh, Burly Cat King Nominson, my uh, 108 tourney participant. Um, 
yesterday. He won. Um, he came over. We shot some great content uh, together for the 108 tourney. Um, Pete is also part of the 108. And also, Bruhan Luke is coming with us to Vegas, um, along with my wife, Tom's wife, and Queen Nam Pockets125, I think, is her Twitter handle. Follow her on Twitter. They're all going to Vegas with us. We're going to be there for four or five days, and we're going to get into some shit, if you will. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Been looking forward to it for a while. Yeah. It, what's funny is Yumper wasn't going to go, and we all went out to lunch together, and we all talked to uh, Yumper and his wife into going. So it was on a whim that they're going with. Yeah, we got really excited. We fell into it. But <laughs> You've without, never met, right? No, it's my first time. So if I come out like the like in the hangover, God help me. There will be no cocaine consumed <laughs> on this trip, I promise you guys. Yeah, Next we're one. looking forward to it. But um, with that, we're going to put a bowl on this episode. Uh, just wanted to give my uh, goodbyes. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening. We are nothing without the listeners. Thank you so much for the interaction. Shout out to the 108. Terezi, MSS, and Beefloaf, who are pretty big supporters of us and giving us shout-outs on their, their platform. Guys, if you like White Sox baseball, you like bullshit, you like beer, check them out at the 108, from the 108 on Twitter or at from the 108 on YouTube. Um, and with that, Swole, let's get to your final thought. Um, yeah, so my final thought actually is a vo- around um, the, from the 108 tournament. Um, it's just a fun little thing that um, the the three guys in the 108 put together every year for us to have some fun with. Um, shout out to my boy Burley Cat for uh, winning his matchup versus me yesterday. Um, but it's really fun, and the the 108 guys are big supporters of what we do. Uh, Treasy was one of the first people to offer us some actual legit feedback on our pod while when we did our first episode. Um, so if you get a chance, check out their YouTube website. Uh, yeah, their YouTube channel and their website because they're always putting out great content. Um, and it's not always just about White Sox baseball. Um, it's a lot of pop culture references. Um, I know My Sox Summer loves Dirk Diggler and Boogie Nights. Um, so check out their stuff. And um, do me a favor. If you guys do go to the movies, shut your fucking phone off while you're in the movies. Um, I went to go see Batman again um, the other day. It's my sixth time seeing it. Yes, I've seen it six times. But the guy next to me wouldn't shut his phone off in the movie. Um, and it took everything in me not to murder him during the movie because I don't want to see the glare from your oversized Android phone while I'm watching a movie that is super important to me. Like, I don't care if I was going to go see like a B movie, but I was watching Batman and I love Batman. Um, and I don't want to see your phone during the movie. So put your fucking phones away during the movie, if you don't mind. Uh, that being said, we'll see you guys in two weeks when we're back from Vegas. And thanks for tuning in. Um, check out our website, tannenglove.com. Um, I'm going to be posting something up there later tonight or early tomorrow. Um, and there's always great content from the rest of the Tainted Glove Network. But uh, on that note, deuces. Peace out, guys. Thank you for listening to Yumper and Svo at the Show Podcast. A Tannin Glove production. That's it. I'm getting out of here.